Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 13. Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 13. Feels like I haven't preached for a long time. Feel a little rusty. I'll work out the rust here. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 13 says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul speaking, I urge you, now listen to this, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Live a life worthy of the call that we have received as Christians. Just think about that for a second. And then he begins to explain that life. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. You see how this humility and and trying to live the life that is worthy of our calling immediately translates into being humble Gentle, patient, bearing with each other in love. I mean, no, it's work to bear with one another. That means like put up with each other is what he's saying there. Don't just put up with each other, like ignore. If I stay away from them, I can get along with them all right. He's saying bear one another up in love. Like don't just put up with them and don't just be around them. Let's love each other. And bear one another up and prod each other along in the faith. And he goes on and he says, Make every effort, and I love this, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, listen to this carefully. Make every effort, that means every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body... One spirit, just as you were called. Remember, we're trying to live up to the call that we've been called to, right? You were called to one hope. There's one body, there's one spirit. You were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, like Eddie was talking about earlier, Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it or measured it out. That means everybody here has grace measured out and given to you for the sake of the one body, the one faith, the one baptism, and the one hope. So everybody here has a deposit of a measure of grace that we have to have in this body. And if we don't have it in this body, we won't complete our mission. We need everybody to use that measure of grace that's been given. And it goes on. Each of you have been given, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ measured it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. That's us. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to lower earthly regions? He He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself, now listen to the context that we get this scripture that we know so well. Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. What is their purpose? To equip you, the people, his people. For works of service, so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up or edified. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Praise God. Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. Lord, it's your message, Lord, it's your words, Lord, it's your call to your people, Lord. Bless it, put your anointing upon it, hide me behind your cross, in your name I pray, 
Everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. I was watching a documentary. In fact, it's titled, my message is called The uh, How Yard Rescue Mission. H-A-L-Y-A-R-D. The How Yard Rescue Mission. And I was watching a documentary about this rescue mission. And uh, this was during World War II. How many have ever heard of that particular event in World War II? Anybody at all? You've heard of it? Wow. Uh, This event uh, was considered the greatest rescue mission of World War II and maybe since World War II. It was an extreme mission, extremely dangerous, extremely daring, and just an outrageous um, call to service to the people that accomplished this mission. But the mission has been kept secret. Uh, It wasn't something that was... Um, meant to be given to the public. The public was not to know about it because they gave the highest award that the U.S. can give uh, to foreign men that were in Yugoslavia. And they didn't want the public to know about it because Yugoslavia had politically, uh, after the war, began to change. But they wanted to recognize these men um, and women and children who accomplished the greatest mission of World War II. And what happened was, and follow me on this, because the whole message is centered around this scripture and around their behavior. But during World War II, um, the Germans, the Nazis, um, the Axis powers, they were um, um, exercising control over the entire region there in Europe. And Yugoslavia was under... um, they were under the, um, oh, sorry, I'm looking at, they were occupied. So the Nazis had control of Yugoslavia, and they occupied that nation. But real near Yugoslavia, there was these Romanian oil fields. And the Romanian oil fields really is what powered the war machine. They needed these Romanian oil fields to power their airplanes and to power their air force and to power their tanks. And it was a huge part in powering the Nazi, um, the Nazi forces. So the Allied forces, which are the United States, Britain, and all the Allied powers, they began to recognize that a really important part in the war was going to be going after those oil fields because it powered everything. And it was the under, they said it was the soft, belly of Hitler, if they could get to that, it would really affect the course of the war. In Yugoslavia, there was a group of peasants that would not bow their knee to Hitler. And this group of uh, peasants, um, they decided to um, retreat into the hills. And as they retreated into the hills, they had a really honorable code of ethics. Their code of ethics was that we're going to go into the hills and we're going to preserve as many of our countrymen as we can. We're not going to bow to Hitler because Hitler is an evil man. And we're going to try to preserve our people and we're going to kind of wait it out. Now they were there to help any way they could. They were there to fight any way they could. But they had to be really careful. And the reason they had to be really careful was because anything that they did that was considered aggression toward Hitler... They would punish the people that were in the in the community. So you see pictures of this war. How many are into history a little bit? Am I born? It's not a history. So the, there, there are documentaries on this mission. And it is gruesome when you see what Hitler was doing. He would go into the towns. And in order to make an example for these uh, Chetniks that were up in, in the mountains, they would actually begin to kill all the town people. They would, you'd see them hanging them and just, you'd see the German soldiers just going through shooting all the townspeople. And so they had to be really careful to never, um, do anything to intentionally upset the Germans. But at the same time, they knew if we bow our knee to Hitler, then all is, all is lost. So it was a terrible place to be in. Now there was another group that was trying to get the sympathy of people led by Tito. And he basically didn't care what the Germans did to the people. In fact, for him, it was an advantage 
for him to do that to the people because he could build his resistance up by Hitler doing things to the people. How many understand this? But they loved the people. They were up in the mountains and they were just trying to wait for something to break. They were all fighting the same battle the Allied forces were fighting. They all wanted to see uh, Hitler uh, be defeated. And so the U.S. Uh, and British launched an invasion of this airfield, okay? And remember, when these people went to the mountains, the leader of this group, General Mihailovich, um, they were actually were in pretty good shape before the war. You know, they had homes, they had families, they had money. Um, but when they went into the mountains, they became peasants for the cause. And they began to... They, they really had almost nothing to eat. They had no money. They were living in the mountains. They were trying to survive. And they were just hoping against hope that somehow the Allied forces would be able to be victorious against Hitler. And so anyway, the, the U.S. and British forces, mostly U.S. planes, they began to go over Yugoslavia to go to the Romanian oil fields, and they hit anti anti-aircraft fire and just, I mean, absolutely uh, destroyed these planes. And so almost 500 Air Force pilots ended up um, parachuting out of their planes and had to abandon their aircraft because they'd been hit hit so bad. And so they, um, if you could see the pictures of it, how many have ever seen like a bunch of geese in the air? And they're all heading south, and you just see all... I mean, it's amazing to watch the footage of uh, World War II, and you see planes just cover the sky almost like birds would. And you see these men parachuting out of their plane, and you see them just falling in between the planes, and all these showers of bullets. And, and so these men were injured, they were hurt, they were sick. And just imagine if that were you, and you parachuted out of that and you knew that you were falling into Nazi territory. Nazi-occupied territory. And you're hurt and you're sick and you're dying and you know it's sure death for you. Well, these men that were in these mountains, they decided we're going to go on a rescue mission. They knew what was happening. They were aware of what was happening. They were aware of what they were trying to accomplish. So these men actually went out on their own And they decided they were going to go on a rescue mission. Now I want you to start thinking about our church. I want you to start thinking about Christians and how we look at the world around us. Okay? They began to go rescue these men. And Secret Service, a little while after that incident, began to wonder how many men dropped into Yugoslavia there. And they thought they might find about 50. And do you know that that group rescued almost every man that parachuted down into that territory? Hitler was trying to find them. Hitler was going all over the country looking for them. But these men were on a rescue mission. Listen to me today. These people were on a rescue mission To rescue these men, they came out of the mountains. They were peasants. They didn't have food. They didn't have anything. They were sick. I mean, they they had families up there in the mountains and they ran for their lives and had nothing. And if Hitler were to find out what they did, it would be sure death for all of them. And here they are risking their life for the one cause. And this is something that war does. We, We hate war and I pray that we never are involved in a war, but you begin to see... People risk their lives for one cause. And it's a beautiful thing to see what people will do in that period of time for the one cause. And God is trying to stir up the church to have one cause, to have one Lord, to have one faith, to have one baptism, to have one spirit. And God wants to call the church to be on a rescue mission. And so these men begin to go out and they begin to be on a rescue mission. And, and, and here's the problem. You're going to see a lot of parts of this complicated mission that applies to the church. But here's the problem. Most church bodies only accept one part of the mission and they abandon all the others. 
Some people say, man, we got to rescue the lost. Or let, let me give you one example. Sometimes they say, we are a social, social gospel church. And that's a good thing. How many know that they fell into a territory where these people spoke a foreign language? Do you understand? When they found them, these men didn't speak their language. They found themselves in friendly hands on enemy territory. I mean, if that's not speaking to you. There are some people working in the kingdom. All they do is a social gospel. They're handing out blankets. They're helping the poor. They're helping those that need medical care. But beyond that, they're not reaching their soul or helping them change their lives. You say, well, what do we do with that? We're in the same war. I'm happy they're helping them. I'm happy they're reaching them. I'm help, happy they're helping the sick. Let's be a part of helping and do what they do. Let's rescue them. Okay, we can't just say, leave them out there and let's not rescue them. We need to go out there and be part of the rescue. But here's the part that's interesting. War is, war is complicated. How I many know we're in a war? If we don't realize we're in a war, we'll surely lose that war, right? I mean, when God says, here, put on this armor, put on salvation, take this sword, take this shield, cover up your chest and your vital organs, cover up your legs, cover everything even down to your feet. And you say, there's no battle. God's like, well, why did I put all the armor on you? Because there's a battle. You know, there is an enemy that is um, trying to devour you. It says he's seeking whom he may devour. He's roaming to and fro, looking whom he may devour. And there is a war, and it is a complicated war, and it is a war on many fronts. Okay? So the first stage of this war is rescue. 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 And you can see them going out from the mountains rescuing as many as they can possibly find and bringing them in, trying to get them back to health. Do you know that it's important to go to the next stage? The next stage is bringing them to health. And a lot of churches don't go to this point. A lot of churches will say, we're just trying to let people know we love them, but they're not doing anything to heal their wounds. Not addressing the issues that are causing the wounding. Well, no, we don't want to step on any toes. How many know what I'm talking about? Do we not love them for giving blankets? Do we not love them for feeding the hungry? No, they're part of our team. How many understand that? That's part of this complicated war is to reach out to those who are hurting and every church needs to do that. And then we need to go to the next step. Because you can't stay here. The Nazis are trying to track you down. You understand the Nazis were looking for these men that airlift, or that were parachuting into enemy territory. You can't stay sick any longer. You can't be sick any longer. You've got to get healthy. We've got to get you back to health. We've got to get you strong. We've got to help you overcome these injuries because we've got to get you somewhere. These people, this was only a little bit of the rescue mission. They had what was called a rendezvous point. How many know what that is? That means that you're in enemy territory and there's only a tiny area that we can get you to where they can airlift you out of here. And so now the mission is different. The mission is... Help these people stand on their own. Help these people get healthy. Help these people get strong. Let's get them to the rendezvous point so we can get them out of here. And so now the mission shifts. We're no longer going out looking for them. Now we're trying to bring healing to their life. And sometimes the church misses this. They won't confront. In fact, I was writing down here. You know, the Bible says in uh, Proverbs 6, 16, and 17, 
There's six things the Lord hates. Turn there if you would, 6, 16, and 17 of Proverbs. How many are uncomfortable with God saying he hates? Is God just a hater? It says there's six things the Lord hates. You say, well, Jesus didn't talk like that. Jesus loved everything. That's him. That's why they called him the Word. Because he was the Word and the Word was him. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John 1.1, 1, 1, right? Six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, proud eyes. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devise wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Now I have to try to give an understanding of hate for a minute. Because there are wrong, very wrong, extremely wrong hates in this world. And then there is a kind of hate that is a reflex of love. It's a reflex. You know, there's some muscles that flex the bicep, and then there's other muscles that the arm extends with. There's a reflex back and forth of muscles working. Right? There is a hate that is a reflex of love. Let me give you an example. How many love to fish? How many love to camp? How many love to have a picnic outside on a nice spring day where we're getting close to? Okay. I hate mosquitoes. It's not a wrong hate. It's a reflex of my love. Do you understand? I hate mosquitoes not because mosquitoes are inherently evil creatures. It's just they ruin what I love. I can't fish because I'm slapping these mosquitoes constantly off my arm. I can't have my picnic because of the mosquitoes. All right? I can't camp because of the mosquito population. So I hate mosquitoes. It's a reflex of what I love. God hates things out of a reflex for his love. How many know that? You say, well, man, why does God hate things like fornication? Because God hates children that don't have a dad. God hates that children don't have a dad. I said that wrong. God hates that children don't have a dad. And that particular action causes the world to have lots of children that don't have dads. That hatred that God has is a reflex of his love. Do you guys see that? Because he loves a child having a dad that loves them so much, he doesn't want somebody to fornicate. That means have sex outside of marriage because he knows there's a high likelihood that there won't be a dad to hang around the girl because he doesn't love her enough to wait and marry her. Amen. Praise the Lord. God hates adultery. For the same reason. He said, what's his problem? Why can't I just be with any person I want to be with? Because you're married. He hates it because it destroys families. It's a reflex. And I could go through every illicit sin that God lists. And the reason that God talks about sin is because he loves you. I mean, no, it's a reflex. When God hates something, it's a reflex of what God loves. Because he doesn't want what he loves to be harmed. He hates certain actions. And so now let me take you back to these men that are dropping into enemy territory, wounded. They're falling into enemy territory. They're wounded. But in order for them to survive, everybody say survive. We have to survive in the world that we live in. 
The world that we live in is like the men that are falling out of those planes. You imagine anti-aircraft fire all around you and you're trying to parachute through it. It's hard enough to parachute, right? I've not done it, but I imagine it's not easy to parachute out of a burning plane, right? But then you got anti-aircraft fire all around you. you got planes flying through. I mean, I don't even know how they... I was watching that. I was just seeing people flying through the air while all these planes were going through. You survive all that, and then you fall in enemy territory. And I'm sorry, but if these people on the ground who are trying to help them, if they leave them wounded and allow them to stay wounded, they won't survive. And church, we've got to be a church that not only preaches salvation, not only preaches charity, but we have to be a church that actually addresses sin. Because what do you think is wounding us in this world? It's sin. So we lovingly have to understand that grace, faith is through Christ, through grace, not through us so we can boast. God saved us for a purpose, okay? Now we're healthy, now we're whole. Now the goal is to rescue those who are away. And now our goal is to get them as healthy as we can get them in the Lord so they can make it to the rendezvous point. Jesus said, why do you stand here gazing? The same way that I left this earth, I'm going to return one day. You say, is that the rendezvous point when he comes back one day? No, there are many points that we've got to get to. Some may be your death. I mean, you know that. But what we have to do is, the Bible says we must endure till the end. And church, I want to tell you right now, everything that I think about, and I know a lot of the leaders here at the church, and we're trying to raise up leaders. Everything we think about is what can we do to make this church healthy to survive enemy territory? How many understand that? We've got to strengthen, we've got to discipline, we've got to try to uh, strengthen God's people. We can't just say, oh, we saved them. It's over. Oh, they gave their heart to the Lord. It's over. I mean, no, a lot of people do that. Church, it's not enough just to say you're saved. You said a sinner's prayer. You've got to become strong to be able to make it through this world. You've got to be able to stand against those things that will destroy your faith. You've got to be able to stand against every spirit that is antichrist. You gotta stand against every lie that's in the media, every lie that's in your community, every lie that's there with your friends. You gotta be able to stand strong and you gotta be disciplined because we've got a rendezvous point. We've gotta get to that place where God wants us to be and we can go home. But we've gotta be strong. We've gotta make sure as a church, we're trying to figure out what God wants us to do to strengthen His people. You understand the rescue mission is complicated. We've got to figure out these things. Listen to this story. I came along. <clears throat> Raul Amundsen was the first guy to explore the South Pole. You may have ever heard of his name. Listen to this. <clears throat> it says in 1911, Raul. Amundsen became the first person to lead a successful expedition to the South Pole. He was also famous for his incredible commitment. Everybody say commitment. Church is commitment. He said, well, I thought it was just going on Sunday and just, you know, feeling pretty good that I've already covered my bases. No. No, we are, some are wounded and aren't going to make it if we don't bring health. You understand what I'm saying? We've got a rescue mission. We have to be committed to one cause, one Lord, one baptism. We've got one enemy. Hitler's such a perfect villain. You know, he so perfectly describes the enemy. And we've got one enemy right now, and that enemy is death. The enemy is uh, Satan. The enemy uh, is against us. And we've got to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And the Lord says we can't fail if we do that. 
The Lord has a plan that we just can't fail. But we've got to be committed. And it says he was committed to prepare for his expedition. Now remember, 1911 was his expedition to the South Pole. You know, South Pole is a very rugged region, right? Unexplored. He'd be the first one to go in there. It says he traveled on his late 20s. He already had it in his mind to do the expedition. So in 1899, 12 years before his expedition, he decided to go from Norway to Spain on a two-month sailing trip so he could get a master's certificate as a sailor. But in order to prepare himself for the South Pole, he decided his trip to go to the sailing, which was 2,000 miles, he decided to do it by bicycle. So, well, why in the world would he do that? Because he knew that it would be strenuous. He knew that it would be difficult. He knew that it would be hard, and he knew that his energy would be sapped, and a lot of times he wouldn't have any food. And so he began to play out in his mind what could potentially happen to me as I explore. And so he began, get this, and if you're an animal lover, I hate to tell you this, he began to train himself to eat raw dolphin. So on his bike trip, (laughs) he was eating the things that might only be available if he were shipwrecked in the middle of that frigid water. Do you see the training and the discipline here? Don't get sidetracked with that, you animal lovers. Don't do that. But he knew that if he were shipwrecked, that might be all he could have to eat would be dolphin to survive. So he began to train himself. He began to figure out How much protein does this give my body when I'm trying to make a 2,000-mile bike ride? So he put himself in conditions that were strenuous. He put him in situations where he didn't have food. Put himself in positions where he was pushed way beyond what a person is normally pushed. That's not all he did. He also trained his body and learned as much from practical experience at what actually would work in the cold. He even made a pilgrimage and began to be an apprentice with the Eskimos. What better way to learn how to work in polar conditions than to spend time with the people who have been there for hundreds of years and have accumulated experience in the ice and the cold and wind. He learned how Eskimos used dogs to pull sleds. He observed how the Eskimos never got in a hurry. He said, when they get in a hurry, they sweat, and in the really cold temperatures, the sweat freezes, and you're in trouble. So they made it a point. Now, something you wouldn't have thought about if you just went without training, right? So I began to understand everything that I do. I do it slow. I take a lot of breaks. I don't work up a sweat. And he just began to watch everything that they did and why. He understood the Eskimos always wore loose clothing to prevent sweat evaporation and to be protective. He systematically practiced their methods, trained himself for every conceivable situation he might encounter en route to the South Pole. Here's his philosophy. You don't wait until you're in an unexpected storm to discover that you need more strength and endurance. You don't wait until you're shipwrecked to determine if you can eat raw dolphin. You don't wait until you're on an Antarctic journey to become a superb superb skier and dog handler. You prepare with intensity all the time so when conditions turn against you, you can draw from a deep reservoir of strength. And equally, you prepare so that when conditions turn in your favor, you can strike hard. Now let me ask you a question. How well do you train? Paul said that he trains like a prize fighter. You know, he's just not shadow boxing. He's preparing for the fight. And sometimes when we study our Bible, do you know that we're studying for that circumstance that's at that moment around us? Let me know that. I've got this momentary problem, and that's why I study my Bible. I've got this momentary situation And that's why I study my Bible. That situation goes, passes, and then we get casual again. 
We don't pray. We don't study. We don't discipline ourselves like this man was. And we get real, we begin to draw away, and then something happens. Oh, man, I've got to figure out what to do now. I've got stress at work. I've got stress with my relatives. I've got a financial issue. And you know what? When you study the Bible, how many, how many do this? When I study the Bible, a lot of times, I study it for myself first. But a lot of times, if I see a subject in the Bible that I know that a hundred people are addressing and having trouble with, I will seek out God on that subject like crazy so I can help somebody else. How many know that? And, and when you study your Bible and when you pray and when you come to church, you're just not here to hear a pretty message. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I love, I love my Christian brothers and sisters who love the Lord but some of them don't preach against sin. And that's not Bible. Because how in the world are we ever going to discipline ourselves to overcome the enemy if we're not training in church? If I don't bring up the issues and ask the tough questions, you say, is it a simple answer? No, war is complicated. War is complicated. How do you beat pornography? You don't talk about it ever. Let's not talk about it. No, let's not talk about it. God hates it. Notice I didn't say he hates you. He hates it because he loves you. And he wants us to deal with it, not because he's mad at you, but, but he loves you. It's a reflex of his love for you. He loves you, so he wants me to deal with it. He wants me to ask the tough questions. He wants me to find a strategic angle or we can defeat that thing. You say, well, it's simple, isn't it? I come in and you tell me a few wise words from a sage. And it's gone. War's not that easy. I mean, you know, you're going through anti-aircraft fire to try to take out an oil field so Hitler can't gas up his, um, his, his airplanes. And you might win. And you say, well, sin's easy. Oh, it is? Well, tell Jesus that. Because he died to help remove that sin. He went through an awful lot, gave an awful lot so we could be victorious. You say, well, how do I handle lying? You just go to a pastor and he says a few wise words. Or you just ignore it. How do I handle homosexuality? Don't talk about it. Say it's all right. The most unloving thing that I can do is say it's all right. The most loving thing I can do is ask tough questions. The most loving thing I can do is help you have strategies from the Word of God and from His Holy Spirit on how can we beat this thing. Why? Because God hates it. Why does God hate it? Hate it not because He hates you, because He loves you. He knows how, and I, and I think a lot of times about my brother who's in the lifestyle. God hates it because I know my brother has been robbed. Robbed. Stolen. Things that God wants to do in his life has been robbed. And God's reaction and my reaction is a reaction of love. So I hate that. Love. So I hate that. You'll find out everything that you love, there's a reaction of, I hate that thing because I love that. And there's a lot of hate. Let me tell you this. There's a lot of hate that's not biblical hate. The majority of hate is a bad word and a negative thing. But there is a love. In fact, when Jesus runs them out of the temple because they're selling things in the temple and making it a marketplace, he hated what they were doing because they weren't able to worship. You say he just hated those people. He didn't hate those people. He just loves worship. And so he ran them out because he loves worship. And they couldn't worship in the temple because of all the marketing that was going on in there. Amen? I mean, think there's a lot of marketing going on. He doesn't hate the people that are doing it. He just loves worship. He wants his house to be a place of worship. 
not a den of thieves. Does he hate the people? No, he loves the people, but he hates what they're doing. And in order for us to be, like I said, in order for us to rescue, the next stage is we've got to bring health. And then the next stage, and this is what really amazed me and touched me about this program. <clears throat> These men were so, um, it, was, it was families in the mountains. And they were so loving. I was watching man after man. These, these men are older men now. Some of them, most of them have passed away now. But in this documentary, man after man was crying. American servicemen bawling and weeping and, and said, you people have no idea what these people did for us. And when you begin to look at what they did, they had no food. But what they did have He said they had a slogan when those servicemen were there. And they said, you take the meat and we'll take the bones. You take the bed and we'll take the floor. And you understand they had no food for their families. But those men that they were trying to, they were trying to help them and trying to nurse them back to health so they could survive They were given everything they had to bring them to health, to love them, to care for them. They were giving them all the meat that they had and said, just throw us the bones. You understand how touching that is? And these men said, we will always be indebted to the Serbian people for what they did to our men. And do you know when they finally found those men, they brought every one of them back. Every one of them back. And it's a picture of me He says in this scripture here, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit. You were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Our God and Father of all is over all through all in all. God is calling us to that one hope. And that one hope is not to be comfortable in this world. That one hope is to bring people to Christ on that day. Our one hope is to meet with everybody we can possibly bring with us. Can you imagine that group and that homecoming that they had? I mean, they're, all this group is with them, and they protected every one of them, took care of them, fed them, nursed them, got them back to health, brought them all after months in the mountains. All they were eating was goat's milk and like bread with hay in it. They put hay in it to make it more meaty. That's all they had to eat and drink. And they nursed them to health, brought them to the point. And what's it going to be like one day when we care for people like that? You say, man, is that easy? No, it's not easy because the enemy is going to be after us, right? The enemy is going to be after us because we're on a rescue mission. The enemy is going to be after us because we tell the truth. You know, there's not a lot of people out there these days that will tell the truth. Not a lot of people in those days wanted to tell Hitler what the truth was. Not too many people wanted to stand up against Hitler, against their own life. When you go to town and you're peeking through the bushes and you see what's happening in that town, and and man, it's so graphic, the pictures they show in the documentary, but you see men all over the city hanging on nooses. You see the Germans just walking through shooting everybody. And I'm telling you right now, that kind of persecution and that kind of spirit is coming through our nation. And we're going to need people who are going to be willing to stand up for what is true. You won't be popular. You won't be loved. But our goal is not just to rescue. Our goal is to heal. Our goal is to see people healthy in the Lord. Our goal is not just to say, I want to be popular with the people. I want to be a man of the people. Our goal is to see real spiritual health and people really ready to see their Lord and people who are not going to be picked off by the enemy. The enemy is roaring. Do you know that a mountain lion has a special instinct? A mountain lion has a special instinct. And that instinct is... He knows exactly which one is vulnerable. They'll tell you, you watch any program on nature and they will say, these predators have a natural instinct to pick off the weak, the sick, 
The one that will give them, get this, the least resistance. The Bible says when the enemy comes roaring like a lion and ready to devour, it says resist him in the faith and he'll flee. See, the enemy doesn't want anything to do with resistance. The enemy wants to pick off the weak, the sick, the hurt, the wounded. And so the goal of our church has to be address the sickness, address the weakness, address the hurting. We've got to deal with those issues. We've got to open them up. We've got to begin to pray about them. We've got to begin to have action on them. It's not a simple answer. It's a complicated answer. We have a culture that's inundated with immorality. We have a culture that's inundated with wrong ideas. You say, well, it's simple. We just do this. No. We got to have a battle plan, church. We got to be willing to pay the price. We got to be willing to sacrifice. We got to, this man did that to go to the South Pole. What do we have to do to be ready to fight in this world? Church, we've got to apply ourselves for our own survival and the survival of the people around us. God's calling us to have tough answers to tough questions. God wants us to fight. Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet this morning. Praise the Lord. I would have preached longer, but I've seen people nodding off. So it's hard for me to say fight when i got people nodding off. Praise the Lord. I wish I were joking, but I'm not. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord. Lord, we're hungry to do your will, Lord God. Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to this church, Lord God. Oh, Father, Lord, I was touched to see those guys in the mountains, Lord, for their people. Father, they were peasants. Poor. Oh, but Lord, they had a heart for the people, Lord God. They had a heart to fight the enemy, Lord God. Oh, Father, I pray right now in this church, Lord God, you'd begin to raise us up, Lord. Oh, Father, I know the visions you've given me in the night, Lord God. Father, you said in the last days you will pour out your spirit upon all flesh. Father, there will be dreams, there will be visions, Lord God. Oh, Father, right now begin to do that, Lord God. Father, begin to raise up people, Lord God. Oh, Father, who aren't willing to sit down, Lord God, aren't willing to sit on the sideline. Father, they're not willing to bow their knee like these men didn't bow their knee to Hitler, Lord. They're not willing to bow their knee to the spirit of Antichrist that's in this world today, Lord. Oh, Father, begin to raise up people that hear the same spirit that I hear, Lord. Who worship the same Lord that I worship, Lord. Oh, who have the same hope before them that I have, Lord. Oh, Father, begin to raise up your church, Lord. Begin to move in this church, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to let you... Spend time in the presence of the Lord here. If there's anything that's on your heart that you haven't dealt with, there's an altar up here. I want to pray with you. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, today is your day. I want to pray with you. I would love nothing more than to lead you to the Lord this morning. Some of you, there are things on your heart you've gone away from the Lord. And um, the Holy Spirit... There will be a last time that the Holy Spirit convicts you. The Holy Spirit says in the Word of God that I will not always fight with you. I won't always fight with you. There will be a last time that the Holy Spirit fights with you. And you say, when is that? Well, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. The Holy Spirit will not always fight with you. You say, man, I love the spirit of this world, Chad. I've already bowed down to it. Man, I hate the Bible. The Bible talks about everything against what I'm living for right now. And the Holy Spirit's saying, you're living wrong. You're living wrong. God wants us to live for Him. 
God wants us to have His cause. God wants us to be like David. I mean, remember David. The Goliath stood up in the valley and he mocked the people of God. He mocked the armies of God. He was a giant. He was a great warrior. Nobody would stand up. Nobody in all the armies of Israel, nobody would stand up to this giant. Now here we are living in a world where the enemy is mocking Christ. Everything is anti-Christ, anti-God. And where are the people that will stand up like David and said, you will not stand and mock the living God? Where are the people that aren't afraid to stand up and stand up for God? And God's asking you today, quit bowing your knee to the world and stand up for something. David said, is there not a cause? I mean, don't I have a good cause is what he was saying. I've got a good cause here. I'll die for it. And God's looking for a few people like these people that I talked about today. The Halyard Mission. These men were willing to die for their countrymen. Die for their countrymen. If we could only get a hold of that. So there's no Christian, there's no man in a battle or in a war that's more dangerous than the one that's not afraid to die for the cause. And God's looking for some people that aren't afraid to die. And what we're left with sometimes is people that are afraid to even go to an altar because someone might see them. And God wants us to lay everything down and not be afraid of anything. The righteous are as bold as a lion, but the fearful run and nobody's even chased them, the Bible says. God wants us to discipline ourselves for what's coming. Not what's in front of you, for what's coming. How many know the Spirit's saying that this morning? Discipline yourself for what's coming, not what's in front of you. Praise the Lord.